This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. Have, have you ever wondered what heaven is like? I have, and, and I have some visuals in my mind about heaven, and I'm sure that heaven is not at all like what I perceive. But, but I believe there's joy in heaven. It's not a place where people are sad all the time and down in the dumps all the time. It's a place where there is joy. And I, I'm Billy Lambert, and I'm the speaker on Getting to Know Your Bible, and today we want to talk about joy in heaven. Joy, and why there is joy in heaven. There has to be a reason for it. And we want to discuss that today. I want to thank you for tuning in to watch Getting to Know Your Bible today. And today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we're offering a free Bible correspondence course. And I emphasize that it's free. And that you might know more about the course and how you can receive the course, we want to pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. The 15th chapter of Luke's Gospel is one of those outstanding chapters of the Bible. Uh, if I were to go through the Bible and try to pick out some of the chapters that are just sort of outstanding, I'd, I'd pick out Genesis chapter 1, I'd pick out Hebrews chapter 11, Acts chapter 2. But, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is another great chapter about the resurrection, the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians about love. But the 15th chapter of Luke's Gospel is a great chapter. There are three parables in that chapter. There's a parable about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost boy. And if you have your Bibles open, you'll notice in the first few verses that Jesus Christ was being criticized because he was eating with publicans and sinners. And there were those that were looking down their straight-laced noses at Jesus because of that. And, and Jesus then gave these three parables, the par parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost boy. And the reason he did that was to emphasize the, the importance of that which is lost. And in each one of those parables, something was lost, and then it was found. And then after it was found, what happened? There was rejoicing. 
Now in Luke the 15th chapter in verse 10, we are told that, that there is joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. So there's joy in heaven. There's joy in heaven when souls are being saved. But why is that? You see, the people that were criticizing Jesus had no joy that someone lost a coin and they found it. They lost a sheep and they found it. The boy was lost and wandered away from home, but he came back home. He was lost, but he was found. Well, they criticized Jesus, and, and, and we need to stop and we need to evaluate ourselves today. But more than that, we need to think about what really causes us joy. If, if there's something that causes joy in heaven, it ought to cause joy on earth as well. Now, the, the, one of the reasons I believe there's joy in heaven is because of the value of a soul. You see, that's what's in, under consideration here in this chapter, and that's a soul that was lost. The coin represented a soul. The lost sheep represented a soul. The lost boy represents a lost soul. In each case, that which was lost was found. And when that which was lost was found, there was rejoicing. Even in the parable of the lost boy, the pro what we call the prodigal son, when he came home, the father said, that we, it's, it's, it's important for us to rejoice because my son was lost, he's found, he was dead, now he's alive again. And so there was rejoicing over that. And, and it's because the soul of man is so valuable. Jesus asked a question. But what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, it's all about self anymore, isn't it? Man is on a mad quest for self, not for your neighbor, not for your family. It's mostly for self. I, I was watching someone the other day with their telephone and they said, uh, I want to take some selfies. You ever thought about that? Selfies. We take pictures of ourselves and we post them for other people to see. Jesus Christ emphasized the importance of the individual in his life. And one soul is worth more than all the world. But people today are on a mad quest for things. Things that have no redeeming quality about them whatsoever. They are those that give their attention to their bodies. They, they go to the gyms and they, they have plastic surgery done. They take vitamins and, and they're, they're not paying very much attention to the condition of their soul. I'm not saying that those things are not good, but they ought to be secondary to the condition of our souls. You see, Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, What shall I do? For I have no room where to bestow my fruits and my goods. He said, This is what I will do. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build greater. And there I'll bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, thou hast goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Jesus came to that man and said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? And then he said, So is he 
that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, there isn't anything to be gained on this earth that can compensate for losing your soul. You might have all the money there is in the world, all of the fame, all the attention and the like. But if you lose your soul, you've lost it all. And the soul of man is valuable, I think, for a number of reasons. One reason it's valuable is because it was made in the image of God. We turn to the book of Genesis, the first chapter, and start reading about verse 26, read verse 27, 28. Here's what we learn. We learn, number one, that God said, let us make man. The Godhead was involved in making man. And he said, let's make him after our likeness, after our image, that is. In the image of God created he them, male and female created he them. Man was made in the image of God. And that's one of the reasons the soul of man is so valuable. That's the spiritual image of God. The Bible says in John 4, 24 that God is a spirit and Luke 24, 39 says that a spirit does, is not composed of flesh and blood. You don't have a physical body. That is the spiritual side of you. Man is a spiritual being and we are made in the spiritual image of God. The soul of man is valuable because of the price that's been paid for it. How valuable is the soul in the sight of God? Let me tell you how valuable it is. It was so valuable, your soul is so valuable to God, that he was willing to give the only son that he had to purchase the redemption of your soul, to buy your soul back from the devil, as it were. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. Well, Peter, if we can't, be bought from the devil by money, how, how can we be purchased back? How can we, we be redeemed? By the precious blood of Jesus Christ, with a lamb without spot and without blemish. Folks, your soul is valuable, number one, because it's made in the image of God. Number two, because the price paid for its redemption. Jesus came to save your soul. In Luke 19 and 10, we're told that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And in Matthew chapter 1 and 21, the Bible says, Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He's our Savior. Now your soul is valuable for a third reason, and that's because your soul will live forever. But we have a time limit in this old world, don't we? Well, of course we have a time limit. We're not going to live forever in this world. What Man is not made so as to live in this world forever. A person may live to be 90 years of age or 100 years of old or even beyond. Sometimes you'll read of those that live beyond that. But eventually, they're going to die because it's appointed unto a man once to die and after that comes the judgment. But after we die, we're still going to be living forever. In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9, John said, I saw unto the altar the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the testimony which they held. What did John see? He saw martyred saints under the altar. You see, they were dead, but they were still alive. Now, all of that makes winning somebody's soul to Christ so important. 
you know, Solomon said, he that winneth souls is wise, and you have to use wisdom in winning souls. And it is a wise thing indeed to try to convince an individual they need the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I wish I had that power. I wish I had the ability to convince every per person that's watching right now that they need Christ in their life. They need to turn your life around and turn it over to Jesus and let Him be in charge. Make Him your Lord and your Master. Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Is there anyone that's concerned about your soul? You see, we're talking about why there's joy in heaven. It's because your soul is so valuable and God cares about your soul. Let me tell you how much God cared about your soul that He gave His only begotten Son, John 3, 16. He gave the only one of a kind, a unique Son, to save your soul. Jesus even cares for your soul. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, and yet Jesus not only died for his friends, He even died for people that didn't like Him. He died for His enemies as well. The Holy Spirit cares for your soul. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, let him that is a thirst come. Whosoever will, let him drink of the water of life freely. Revelation 22:17. Gospel preachers that are faithful to God and faithful to His Word are concerned about your souls. They care. That's the reason Paul told young Timothy to preach the Word, to be instant, in season, out of season to reprove, rebuke, to exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. The church cares, the Spirit and the bride. That's the bride of Christ, the church cares. Have you ever thought about the fact that the only organization that on this face of this earth that's trying to save souls is the church? That, that's not the goal of the movie industry out in Hollywood. That that's not the goal of the liquor industry. They're not out there on a soul-saving uh, search. That, that isn't their purpose. You know what they want to do? They want to make money. That's what they want to do in, in, the, in the movies. Uh, that's, that's not the goal of those who, who make records and sell uh, your favorite tune on some record somewhere. That, that they're out there to make money, not to save somebody's soul. And yet there are people that sometimes are critical of the church and they fight the church, the very thing that is trying to help you go to heaven one day. But Satan is concerned about you. He wants your soul. He cares about your soul. Why Peter described him as a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. But in heaven, men are concerned and care for your soul. So much so that we're told in Luke 15 and verse 10, there is joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. There is joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. Yes, there's joy in heaven. Why? Because of the value of your soul. And you need to be as concerned about your soul as others are. And you need to obey Jesus Christ today. But why is there in joy in heaven? It is because a saved soul means an increase in God's kingdom. In the third chapter of John, there was a man by the name of Nicodemus that came to Jesus by night. 
And Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that you are doing unless God is with him. Now, the average preacher would consider that to be a great compliment. Jesus wasn't swayed by that in the least. Because in the third verse of that chapter, Jesus said, Verily, verily, which means truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, to see the kingdom means to enjoy all of the pleasures, the benefits of the kingdom. You have to be born again to enjoy the benefits of the kingdom. And then he asked, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can, can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? You see, Jesus had in mind a spiritual birth. Nicodemus was thinking about a fleshly birth. So Jesus answered that question in verse 5. Truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see, to get, be, enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. In the seventh verse of John chapter 3, Jesus put it in the imperative. He said, you must be born again. He didn't say it's a good idea or you might with, be thinking about being born again. Jesus said you must be born again. That makes it absolutely essential. And when a soul is saved, that person enters into the kingdom of God. There is a deliverance from the, uh, the domain of Satan into the kingdom of God, which is called the church. For instance, in Colossians 1.13, we're told that we are delivered from the power of darkness and we're translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. So there's that deliverance and there is that translation. And then the kingdom is growing. That means that when a person is born again, they take their seat in the kingdom of God. And the increase in the kingdom of God is commensurate with the amount of seed that we sow. You see, in Luke chapter 8 and verse 11, we learn that the seed in the parable of the seed sores and the soils is the Word of God. And when the Word of God is sown in an individual's heart, in a good and an honest heart, it produces good fruit. See, the Bible is referred to as being the seed. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, this is what Peter wrote being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. So you sow the seed, and when the seed comes up, it produces fruit. A number of years ago, there was an article in our local newspaper, and it was about a 2,000-year-old seed they'd found in a tomb in China. They had no idea what the seed was. But then they planted the seed and it produced tomatoes. 2,000 year old seed and it produced tomatoes 2,000 years later. What we preach out of today is a 2,000 year old seed. And you sow that seed and when that seed is sown, it produces the same kind of fruit today that it did nearly 2,000 years ago. 
and it produces Christians. The Bible only makes Christians only of anyone, anytime, anywhere. All you have to do is sow the seed. And when the seed is sown and it produces fruit, the kingdom is increased. In Acts chapter 6 and in verse number 7, there the Bible says, And the word of the Lord increased. Well, what happened when the word of the Lord was increased? You say, well, what does that mean, the word of the Lord increased? They just kept preaching and teaching the word of God. Now remember, they were out sowing seed. Sowing the seed, that is the word of God. And the more seed they sowed in the hearts of people, the greater the harvest, the greater the increase, the greater the return. The word of the Lord increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. In, in, in Psalms chapter 100 and verse 26 and verse 5, there the psalmist said, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You know, in recent years, there have been many books that have been written about church growth. As a matter of fact, I rather suspect that any preacher that might be watching the telecast right now has a number of books in his, in his office on the subject church growth. What can we do to help the church grow today? It's a ma matter of simple, simple matter, brethren. You just sow the seed of the kingdom. Let me read it to you again. So simple. You know, sometimes what we need to know is so simple that when we see it, we don't really comprehend it or understand it. The word of the Lord increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Heaven shouts with joy when there's a soul saved. There is joy in heaven when someone is born again, when someone is born into the kingdom of God. And that new babe then has blessings in heavenly places, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Yes, there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repents because that means that the kingdom of God is now increasing. But it all, there's also joy in heaven over a, a sinner repenting because of the, va the va vicarious sacrifice of Jesus. It's for everybody. It's for every soul. Jesus came to this old world of sin and suffering for one specific reason. He was sent to be the Savior of the world, 1 John 4, 14 tells us. He came to die. Isaiah chapter 53 and the first few verses tell us that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. Jesus took our place at Golgotha. He died in my place. And that means that Jesus died a vicarious death. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. And in verse 24, who himself bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that you being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you're healed. Why is there joy in heaven when someone repents and gets their lives right with God? Because 
their lives made right by the vicarious suffering and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But another reason there's joy in heaven when a sinner repents is because of the reality of hell. And a saved soul means one less soul that's lost for eternity. There's joy in heaven when one person is saved from their sins. Friends, the most horrible concrete fact there is in all of the Bible is the fact that hell is real. Uh, frankly, I wish I could believe that it's not real. I, I wish I could believe that all people would give their lives to God and Jesus and follow the teachings of the Holy Spirit that are revealed in the Bible, and then hell would not be necessary. But as long as there are those that rebel against God and stir up the wrath of God Almighty and reject His Son, I must recognize that, that hell is, well, actually an absolute necessity. God is a God that is fair. And the, the question is asked in Genesis 18, 25, shall not the judge of all of, all of the earth do right? And he is, will do right. He will do right with those that are saved, and he will do what's right by those that are sinners. Behold the goodness and the severity of God, Romans 11 and 22. And hell is real. Jesus said it's real. In Matthew 25 and verse 41, Jesus said, Depart from me, accursed and everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is real. Now, I know that's not politically correct today for a preacher to be talking about hell, but, but the fact is, if I'm to preach the whole counsel of God, I, I have to tell you that hell is real. And, and, and it's a horrible place. I don't want to know what it's like in hell. I don't know about you, but I know this, that when somebody's soul is saved, that means there's one less person that's going there. Hell is a real place, and it's a place where those that have not prepared themselves for eternity will find their eternity. Look at Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46. And Jesus is pictured a scene of the judgment. And there the saved on one side and the unsaved on the other. And Jesus said, And these, the unsaved, shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous, that is the saved, into life eternal. I want you to be among the saved. And I'd urge you to give your life to Jesus today by believing on Him, by repenting of all of your sins, confessing that you believe in Jesus, and, and allow some servant of God to immerse you, to baptize you into Christ for the remission of your sins. Jesus said, He who believes, he who is baptized, shall be saved. It's just that simple. Won't you give your life to Jesus? If you've never done that, why don't you contact us and let us have some individual, some servant of God, get in touch with you and they will baptize you into Christ. You'll be added to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Live a faithful Christian life. And when life is over, heaven will be your eternal home. I want to thank you for watching today. And right now, pick up the phone and call for the free Bible course. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. Getting to know your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580.
or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for getting to know your Bible.